Well, hello, how are you? Hope that everybody's doing well. That has been a wonderful week in the Lord. I want to apologize for last week, a little bit under the weather, and after I was done with my message, I uh, had to be uh, rushed off in a sense to the emergency room and wound up spending the night at the hospital and the next day. But uh, doing good, uh, doing a lot better than what I was a week ago, so I praise God for that. He's a faithful, faithful God. Well, we're going to continue on in understanding this better covenant that we have and it truly is it's uh far superior to the old testament the new testament is just far 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 superior than the old testament and uh we want to get a good grasp of that and truly understand it and uh if you can understand that the old testament is for our learning it teaches us things about god it teaches us things about ourselves by understanding Israel and how Israel lived and their disobedience to God. But the Old Testament, it was a schoolmaster. It allowed us to see our own sin and to recognize we needed a Savior. And it became that schoolmaster to lead us to Christ because we could not make it on our own. Understanding that the big difference between old and new. The old was looking to the cross. The new is looking back at the cross and what Christ has done, which is far better than anything that was done in the Old Testament. Of Christ himself going to the cross paying our sin debt and then declaring a work was finished. The work of salvation is now complete. What a wonderful, wonderful statement that Jesus makes that it is finished. So we want to understand this Old Testament and New Testament. And we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll stay with me for the next two, three weeks at least, and we should be finishing this up. But I'm hoping out of it that it allows you to get a different perspective of what the New Testament really is. We're so used to calling it the New Testament that sometimes we miss that it really is a covenant. It's a contract, in a sense, that God has made with himself and allow us to enter into it, and yet he is the one who completes it. So let's pray and let's move forward. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O oh God, for being a God who wants us to be aware of your work and your doing. You would not have us to be ignorant. But Lord, I pray for many people who have never opened your word, that they would open your word and find, O oh God, a treasure beyond any treasure they could ever find here on earth. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and minister to us. Give us a joy that surpasses the understanding of man. And would you teach us now, Lord? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts? And may our hearts burn from within 
over that which we hear. And may we have a conscience to search it out, to see if it would be so. Minister to us, Lord, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Understanding the better promises that are in the New Testament, and we're going to be in the Old Testament quite a bit, but we will be working our way towards that New Testament, and we're going to see these things. Now, we need to understand that the Old Testament could not fulfill what God really desired. And somebody might say, well, why did God allow it to be then if it wasn't what he really wanted? Again, I want you to understand something about our God. He's an educator. And he wants to educate you and I. And we need to understand that God is wants to teach us First, about ourselves, And that's one of the things that we need to understand. Man thinks so highly of himself, rather than seeing himself through the eye gates of God. He, he wants to see himself by measuring himself with one another. We can always find somebody who is weaker than we are, who is not as intelligent as we are, who may not be able to converse or to get up and really stand uh, word for word with a person because their vocabulary is so large that they are a orator and someone else is not. Uh, we can always do these comparisons and we'll come out thinking, hey, I'm pretty sharp. I'm pretty sharp. And in reality, the only thing it shows is our foolishness. And we need to understand that God wants to teach us. And his best way of teaching us was showing us what humanity is like, even through another people called Israel. People are not much different. We're the same. From Adam to today, we're basically the same. And we may have some more technology. We have some things that were not there at that time. But once you get past the surface stuff, we're the same. And God said it correctly when he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all the same. Doesn't matter what ethnic background you're from. We're all the same. And basically, man wants the same thing. So it's not that much of a difference. But God wants us to see ourselves. And that's part of the purpose of the Old Testament. That man can see himself through the people of Israel. And to see him also. To see his love. To see his work. And as I said, the Old Testament was not to the point to where it was able to give us eternal life. The New Testament through Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. It gives us so much more. It provides for so much more. But in Hebrews 7, starting with verse 18, he says, the former regulation or the Old Testament 
is set aside because it was weak and useless. He says that the Old Testament was weak and useless. Now, I want you to turn with me to Romans 7 verse 12 because we need to understand God is not putting his word down. He's not trying to make his word as something that was not effective. It had a, it had its purpose. And its purpose was to lead us to Christ. But before man will ever say he needs a savior or somebody to rescue him, he has to be able to see that he can't save himself. He can't keep himself. I can swim a length of a pool. But sometime when I'm out on the lake, like Lake Erie, or I'm out somewhere I had to swim to get back to shore, I don't think I can swim that far. I'm pretty confident I can't swim that far. And I won't make it. I would need a savior. I would need someone to rescue me. And that's what man has to come to a place to know his own limits and come to a place to say, I need a savior. And that's the Old Testament. It's showing man his weakness through his sin and that he needed something more. Now, again, in Hebrews seven eighteen, it talks about the Old Testament being weak and useless. It's weak and useless because it does not provide the power that is needed to live the life that God is projecting upon the people. When he says to be holy as I am holy, he gives the example of himself, but he does not give the power to be able to do so. And most of what takes place in the Old Testament with the average individual is that the power is not there to live the life that the word of God is demanding of us. It's a lack of the power. Now we do see God do some powerful things to some people as a Moses, a Joseph, a Daniel. We do see certain individuals. But that was not the everyday person. In the New Testament, it's the everyday person who is empowered to live the Christian life based on one thing. They desire to do so. They want to do so. They are empowered to do it. They have power to do it. And so in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Listen to what is being said here. He says, let me get to 7 and then to verse 12. He simply says, so then the law is holy. The law is holy. Why? It comes from a holy God. It comes from a perfect God. It comes from a loving God. What God is asking man to do is right and just. There's no power to do it. But man had to 
come to a place to recognize within himself. He could not do it. He could not fulfill the law. And he goes on, so then the law is holy and the commandments is holy, righteous, and good. It comes from a good God. It comes from a righteous God. It comes from a holy God, what is being asked and required. But man in and of himself cannot perform or do what God is asking of him. But man had to learn that and accept that within himself and be willing to say, Lord, help me. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you said to God, Lord, help me? As a Christian, I find myself asking that quite often. Lord, help me. Lord, guide me. Lord, lead me. Lord, give me favor. Lord, show me how to do this. And what I am saying about myself is this. I'm acknowledging my own limitations. I'm acknowledging what I cannot perform or do without his help. And he is that ever-present helper, and he will help me if I'm willing to ask him and to acknowledge that within myself, I cannot do it. And that's what the Old Testament brings us to. That's why it says it was a schoolmaster. It was teaching us that we could not do it alone. And it shows us that Israel could not live the holy life. It could not live the life God was requiring of them in and of themselves. That's one of the reasons why they created idols or would uh, worship their neighbor's idols because idols, you can set the rules. You can set the standards. And you can feel good about yourself. And we even see that as we go into the New Testament with the Pharisees. It was not so much that they were keeping the commandments of God as they were keeping the commandments that they had made for themselves as holy, righteous men. And were missing the mark because they were not living the type of life God had ordained for them to live. They were living the type of life that they have set for themselves. And that's what many of us do today. We live the life that we set for ourselves, that we've ordained in a sense for ourselves. And this is what I am. This is, this is who I am. You can take it or you can leave it. Uh, I'm going to live this way. See, we set our own rules, don't we? And we set what our standards are. And nobody should be able to question my standards or my goodness. And the Word of God will. And the Holy Spirit, who is working in our lives, will, if you're truly a believer. He does away with all that old fantasy stuff that you set up when you really become a believer and you're in the word of God the Holy Spirit begins to strip away your so-called standards and bring you under the standards of the living word 
the word of God, the covenant of God. And again, I want to read that to you because it's so important to truly understand that in verse 12 of Romans chapter 7. So then the law is holy. It is. It's good. It's right. It's just. Why? It comes from God. And the commandment is holy. They're righteous. And they're good for us. And I hear a lot of people want to put down the Old Testament is this and that. True. We're not under ceremonial laws. We're not under the laws of you can't eat this and you can't eat that or you can't wear this and you can't wear that. We're not under those laws. But the Ten Commandments and the laws that proceed from them, those are good. Those are good. Now, the Ten Commandments never was meant to save anybody. And the Ten Commandments cannot save. For there's only one who is able to save. But the Ten Commandments can set a standard. And that's what it does. It sets for a standard. And it sets for a respect for God and neighbor. And we need to understand that. That the word of God is good. But we have to understand that. When you read the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of wisdom there in Proverbs. Every young man should take time and just read Proverbs over and over and over again. When you read the Psalms and you hear David and these other men crying out how God has worked in their lives and what God has done and thanking God and praising God. It gives us a glimpse of ourselves and of the God that we serve. How magnificent he is. How wonderful he is. It allows us to see a picture of God's character. And we need to understand that the Old Testament, as it says, it is for our learning. And we should learn from it. Shouldn't throw it away. Shouldn't throw that book out and say we're just going to live from Acts on or from Matthew on. It is the word of God and it had its purpose. And its purpose was to show man that he was sinful, corrupt, wicked, and he needed a savior. And that man could not save himself. And it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We need to understand that very clearly about the Old Testament. Because God ordained it to be what it was. And we need to understand that also. Now, go to Exodus 24 with me. Again, as I said, we're going to be in the Old Testament a little bit. And we're going to wind right up into that New Testament. And then next week we'll go a little bit further, especially with Hebrews chapter 8. And um, But I want you to catch Exodus chapter 24, 4 through 8, because here we're going to see something about man. And we're going to also look at Joshua and see something about man still a little bit further. Because man is always setting forth these little things with God. So when you come down into verse 4 of chapter 24 of Exodus, come on down into verse 4 there with me. And 
Uh, let me get these eyes straightened out. He said, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord has said. Moses wrote what? Everything that the Lord has said. Now, I want you to take notice of this. God is speaking to Moses. God is speaking to Moses. And Moses is writing it down. And he says, boy, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord has said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember what I told you before that God is dealing with a nation and he and the nation then dealt with the people. In the New Testament, he deals with the individual. The individual then deals with the nation. And we need to understand that also. It's just a reversal. God went from a nation the nation would set the standards and it would come on down into the people. Now it's the people that God deals with. And from the people comes forth your nations, your values, and your standards for a nation. And we need to understand that God is dealing with the individual, not so much with the nation. With Israel, you always hear the word Israel, Israel, Israel in the New Testament. It is always the individual, individual, individual that God's dealing with it. And we see Jesus dealing with the individual, not so much with a nation, not with Israel, not with the Romans, not with the Greeks, but he's dealing with individuals. And he then he says, then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrifice young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, stay with me here, half of the blood and put it in the bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. Took what kind of book? The book of the covenant. He didn't say Old Testament, but the book of the covenant. And read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. That was always Israel. That's us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. How many of you were baptized and, and said, okay, I'm going to do everything God wants me to do. I'm going to obey God from this point on. Those who you, you remember when you first accepted the Lord and you were excited about the Lord and receiving his Holy Spirit and knowing that you've been born again and you were going to do this and do that. And uh, here are the people saying, oh yeah, we're going to do everything now. We're going to do everything. And what do they do? It's not known before they're in to sin. It's not known before God is punishing them as a nation. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. And that's people. That's the human side of us that the scripture is bringing out. That we'll say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to do, Lord. And most of us wind up doing nothing. We wind up doing nothing. And that's part of the thing that we have to figure out about ourselves. Why are we so quick to say yes and then do nothing? 
And he says, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Go on to verse 8 here. Listen to it. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Why? The people had entered into a covenant with God. We're going to obey God. He didn't sprinkle the blood upon the people until the people responded in that positive manner. We're going to obey God. And he sprinkled the blood upon the people. In the New Testament it says that we are, we are washed by his blood. His blood in the New Testament is a cleansing effect for us. The covenant, this new covenant that we live in the New Testament is sealed by his blood. And this is his blood that he has given for many in this New Testament. And that blood is applied to those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ in a symbolic way. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And we need to understand that God has entered into a covenant with Israel. Now go over to Joshua 24. And I want you to catch in Joshua 24, verses 24 and 25, somewhat a reinstatement like of this covenant. A little bit more may have been added. But hear the people. Hear the people. And let's learn from the people. In 24, it says, in Joshua 24, picking up at verse 24, And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Again, a different group of people, but still Israel. Moses is now dead. Joshua is the leader. There's a new generation of people. And they're making this same statement that their forefathers have made. We will obey God. We will obey God. And they're saying that to Joshua. We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Now catch 25. On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. And the people are saying, we're going to obey God. We're going to obey God. And we find this throughout the Old Testament with Israel. We're going to obey God. And what we find is a rebelliousness people. Because they lack the power of doing and being obedient unto God. No doubt may be a desire to do it, but there has to be power given in order to perform. 
there has to be power given in order to perform. And you have to always recognize that, that there has to be power that is given to be able to do what God is asking of you. God's teachings were good, right, and just. But the power was lacking to perform. And men would try, Israel would try, and they would fail. And whenever we just try without God, without God's involvement, and I hear Christians even say, I'm doing the best I can. Well, you're right. You're doing the best you can. And the best that you can do is nothing but failure. And so many Christians live in defeated life because they're doing the best they can do. And they choose. Not that power is not given to them. But they choose to do it their way. And the power that is given to them will only do it according to God's word. Not the way you want to do it. Not how you want to do it. But according to what the word says, that power is then released into your life by the person of the Holy Spirit that you might perform what God is requiring and asking of you. See, what was missing was the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in the person's life, in the everyday person's life. And today in the New Testament, everyone who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower them to live the life that God meant for them to live. He gives them the Holy Spirit that they might be obedient even as Christ was obedient even as unto death. We are given the power to live life through the Holy Spirit in the New Testament that was missing in the Old Testament. Yet the people would commit themselves I will do what God says. I will obey God. But did not have the inner power of the Holy Spirit that would allow them to perform the task and live the life that God has ordained for them to live. Now, we see them keep making these covenants with the Lord. And they meant well, but it wouldn't, wouldn't work for them because, again, it's done in the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit. So when you look at Second Chronicles chapter 15 and uh, look at verse 12, and look what it says again here. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. 
they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. Israel knew what covenant meant. It was a working relationship with God. And it was that which they would enter in. And here it says they entered into a covenant with God. Now, now look at what they were going to do. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. Good intentions. Good intentions. But lacking the power to do. We can start up here very high. We can set these high standards. But we'll see ourselves slipping, slipping, slipping. Because we have not the power to perform what we're saying we will do. And that's what the Old Testament teaches us about man. He can make all kind of promises. He can enter into covenants. But he lacks the power to perform. Now, you see it again in Second Kings eleven seventeen. But again, I just want to iterate to you the lack of power to perform. Doesn't take place until we get into the New Testament. Why? Go to Romans 8 and, and verse 29 in the New Testament. And I want you to really catch hold of this because it's very important to do so. Because we need to understand, in the Old Testament, God said unto the people of Israel, Be ye holy as I am holy. And he's saying, in a way, be like me, but no power to do that. In the New Testament, in verse 28, 29, I'm sorry, in verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, conformed to the likeness of his Son. Not to himself, per se, but directly like his Son. Now, why is that? Because the son was obedient even as unto death. His son was obedient to say, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And what we are to be like his son is in the obedience. Where did Israel always fail? They fell in the obedience of being obedient to God. And here now, God takes one who comes and demonstrates what it is to be obedient to the Father in the New Testament, shows us the type of life that we can live, and we can live obedient even unto death. We can be obedient to God. We can carry out God's will even to the very last breath. We can carry out God's will. And Jesus Christ demonstrates that obedience that we did not have in the Old Testament the power to perform and do.
Jesus shows us. And you remember at the baptism when the dove came down upon him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to live that life that Jesus lived in pleasing the Father. And he says, we've been predestinated now to be conformed to the likeness of his son. There was no example of his son in the Old Testament. But we do have that example in the New Testament. Even the obedience that his son rendered unto him to carry out his will and to please him. And not to please himself. Not to do what he wanted to do. Father, if this cup can be removed, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, that cross is going to be painful. Is there some other way of finishing this, completing this, without going to the cross and shedding my blood? Lord, that cross is going to be painful. Not my will, but your will be done. Constantly teaching us to surrender ourselves to the will of the Father and to obey him. What was Israel's biggest fault? Lack of obedience. But always rebelling, always trying to find another way to do it other than the way in which God had ordained for them to live. In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah is going to begin to share some things with us of what a new covenant is going to look like. And God shares this in the Old Testament, that there's going to be a new testament, a new covenant with Israel and Judah. And he specifically says Judah because, again, you had the northern southern kingdom divided. But he also makes it very clear it's going to be with Israel. Why? Because Israel is the one that we see and the 12 apostles, all Israelites, all Jews. Uh, we see him coming unto Israel, the children of Israel first. And it's not that, again, Gentiles are set out. He's dealing with a people, individual people now, not with the nation of Israel, but individual people. And this change of life takes place for these individuals. That's going to be the pattern from here on out. And Judah is the name of this princely king that comes. Jesus Christ. He comes out of the tribe of Judah. So I think it's very important. Israel and Judah as both mentioned because out of Israel and the tribe of Levite comes the priest. And we'll see more of this in forthcoming studies that here's Jesus Christ, this great high priest, but he does not come out of the Levites the tribe of Levites, he come out of the tribe of who? Judah. And we're going to see that later on here. And we need to understand that though. That when God breaks and, and he does away in a sense or set aside or uh, this old 
Testament with the New Testament, he no longer draws the priesthood out of Levites, but every one of us who named the name of Christ become a priest. What is the basic meaning of a priest? A servant. A servant of who? A servant of God. And he draws us from every nation, from every ethnic group of people, and we become a royal priesthood. Not that we come from the tribe of Levite, but that we come from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we learn to serve as he served. We learn to obey as he obeyed. And he comes from the tribe of Judah, and there was no priest from, from Judah. But he comes from the tribe of Judah. And he sets aside the old and starts something new. And he calls us a royal priesthood in Peter. But in Jeremiah 31, we're going to start in verse 31. And he says here, he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And, and the emphasis is on that word new. He shared with Israel years before, there's going to come a time. I'm going to start a new covenant. And this new covenant is going to be different than the old covenant that I made with your forefathers. And he shares this with them, but he doesn't give them a date or a time per se. But he does allow them to know that there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a change, a change that's coming, that's going to be different. And he goes on, he, he says, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. He emphasizes that for them. This is not going to be like the other covenant at all. This is going to be totally different and new. And the big difference in the new covenant is the empowered dwelling and dwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. That gives power to live this Christian life. And then it's the teaching that comes from the Holy Spirit. That is different than what it was coming from the prophet. And from the priest. It is God himself. In the person of the Holy Spirit. Teaching every believer. Teaching each one of us. Well, that's mind-boggling. That is, that will blow your mind if you just sit and dwell and think about that. That within me, within me, if I'm a believer, and this is hard for unbelievers to understand, I have the person of God and the person of the Holy Spirit living in me, teaching me. I don't have a priest, I don't have a pastor, I don't have an even I have the living God living in me. Now, he's not excluding man from teaching, but man can only teach what God has taught. And he says, the one who really confirms this teaching and really does the teaching, though, is the Holy Spirit, not flesh and blood. And somehow we've gotten caught up with flesh and blood. And there are some great teachers out here. 
but the one who really teaches you as you hear it and allow you to know if it's truth or error is the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's not going to be the same as with your forefathers. When I look, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. There's the weakness of the covenant. They broke it. Why? They couldn't perform it. They couldn't live up to it. They couldn't do it. Not that they didn't try, but they could not do it. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to live a Christian life. And it is the Holy Spirit who takes God's written word out of this Bible and writes them on our hearts and place them on our mind. Man cannot do that. That's one of the reasons today Satan has tricked so many churches that we go to church without a Bible. Electronic device with the Word of God, fine. But a lot of people go to church and never, never, never open the Word of God to hear what God has to say and allow the Holy Spirit to confirm whether or not if this is true or false and how to apply the Word of God to your life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, taking the Word of God and making application in everyday life that you're living it, you're breathing it, you're doing it, and you're constantly reminded about it. Chronicles, I think it's Second Chronicles twenty twenty. Not going to turn to it, but the passage that really speaks that says, "Lord, I know not what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you." My eyes are fixed on you. I'm watching you, Lord. I'm looking for instructions from you. I'm looking for you to lead me and guide me. My eyes are fixed on you. Then Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. My eyes are fixed on him. And those words and those scriptures, they can come back and forth into my mind. Fix my eyes on Jesus, not on man, but on Jesus. See him. And he goes on, he says, from that point, he says, because they broke my covenant. That's the failure of the Old Testament, not the power to live it. And all they could do was break it. But the standards were set. What God was requiring is set. But in and of man's own ability, he cannot do it. 
has a lot of things we can do. But we cannot live the life that God desires and live the way God wants us to live in and of ourselves. It takes something more than flesh and blood to live the Christian life. It takes the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to really recognize that. As you move on down just a little further into verse 33, he says, This is the covenant I make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. His promise to us, he will put his law into our minds and on our hearts. And Ephesians 4 tells us that we get a new mind, 23 through 24, new attitude and everything. And then 2 Corinthians, let's take a moment, turn over to 2 Corinthians 3, 3, because you need to see this, because God says, boy, he's going to write it on your heart. And he does. 2 Corinthians 3, 3. And you went the other way, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, but 2 Corinthians 3, 3, because we have a little bit more, and I want to get to the other things here in the few minutes that we have left. But in verse 3, 3, he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the results of our ministry. Now listen, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets. Where did the Old Testament Ten Commandments come from? On on tablets. But he says, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Where is God writing that today? On our hearts. On our hearts. Oh, how good he is. He's writing his truths, his word. He's writing it in here. He's taking it off these pages and he's writing it in here and giving memory of it up here. God is doing it. And he will continue to do it. And then when you look at the latter part of 33, back in Jeremiah 31, look at that latter part. He said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, look at the promise that is given here. I will be their God, and they will be my people. In that new covenant, he says, I will be their God. Nothing's going to separate that. Nothing's going to stop me from being their God. If they receive the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And in that promise, he who has begun a good work in you, he will continue it until you and I see Jesus Christ face to face. God's going to work in our lives. He's going to work in our lives. And he's going to continue to transform us into that which he has predestined us to be like, his son. And we need to understand 
that he writes this now on our hearts. It wasn't written on every Israel's heart. Yes, they wore the little thing up on their head to remind them of scripture and the commandments and so forth, but inwardly. We don't wear anything outwardly showing the word of God is being memorized up here or being recognized by us, but it's in here. And then it's lived outwardly. It's lived outwardly. They will be my people, and I will be their God. In Romans 8, in verse 35 following, nothing separates us from the love of our God. Nothing. Nothing. Then in 34 here, in Jeremiah 31, you get to verse 34, he says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. They're going to know me. Why is that? Because in the Old Testament, we have something that's different. In this New Testament, different from the Old Testament, we had the prophets teaching. We had the priests teaching. Uh, we didn't have anywhere in the Old Testament where, boy, the Holy Spirit's doing the teaching. That the Holy Spirit has promised to teach me God's word and, and write it on my heart. He says in chapter 14 of John, St. John, he says, All this I have spoken will still, will still with you, while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you what? All things. And will remain and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will teach us all things and remind us up here what this word says. The Holy Spirit would do it. Now turn with me over to first John chapter two. First John chapter 2 because you, you need to put it together here First John chapter 2 26 and 27 we get there Twenty-six and 27 First John 2 as for you I'm sorry I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Man will always be trying to lead people astray. Or, let me be very blunt about it, you will always have somebody trying to lead you away from God. Tell you about the myths that God isn't real. He's just a crutch. He's just a figmentation of your mind. Is what somebody else has told you and brought you to a place to accept. No, you got to know God for yourself. And you got to know that he's real for yourself. Not because Gus Brown says it or somebody else says it or this person says it. You got to know that God is real for yourself. And he simply said, 
I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing or the Holy Spirit. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. In you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches, his what? His anointing teaches, as his Holy Spirit teaches you about all things. And John said what? The Holy Spirit would teach you all things and bring it back to what? To your remembrance. He will remind you. And the anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, Boy, the Holy Spirit is real. He lives in us. And that's the huge difference between New Testament and Old Testament. He lives in us. He lived in some people of the Old Testament. And as some would say, and I won't argue about this issue, he came upon them. But David said, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. You know, uh, Samson could not have done the things he did without the Holy Spirit. Daniel could not have maybe interpreted the dreams and things without the Holy Spirit interpreting those things for him. And we could go on and on, but the thing is, is this here. It was not living within the average individual. But in the New Testament, he lives in every one of us who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter about your education, your intellect. It has nothing to do with you royalty, not royalty, if you're rich or you're poor. The Holy Spirit, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he gives you a personal teacher in the person of the Holy Spirit to teach you. And he will do that. The Holy Spirit will confirm what is truth from the Word of God. There's so much deceptiveness out here today, so much false teaching, but the Holy Spirit will nail you right back to the Word of God, and He will show it to you. He will speak to you up here, and you'll know that it's Him speaking. And He is the one who will convict you over what is truth and what is error. He will do that. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And he will guide you into all truth. Why? He is called the Spirit of Truth. And the very last part then in that 31, in Jeremiah 31, in that 34, he says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. We're forgiven because Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And my sins have been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. For he paid for every one of my sins on Calvary. Didn't happen in the Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament, the priests would come once a year and they would take a goat and they would confess their sins and send the goat out into the wilderness. But Jesus came to bear my sins. And not only bear my sins, but took the punishment for my sins. And that's the part we have to understand. He took the punishment for my sins, past, present, future. And God says, he will forgive me of my wickedness. Not because of me. Not because I'm good or I'm deserving of it. But because of one person. Jesus Christ. The Old Testament didn't have that. They didn't have that. They had the Messiah that was going to come. We have it. The Messiah has come. And you and I have the privilege of having our sins totally forgiven and not held against us. And the punishment for my sin has already been paid for in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, my time is gone, but I'm hoping in some way we were able to share a little bit more of the difference between that Old Testament and New Testament. And that the New Testament, because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, is so much more superior to the Old Testament. Well, stay with us. We'll see you again next week. We'll continue in this area of the covenant because we want to see this priestly part that Christ now plays. And we want to be able to understand that and understand he is my great high priest. And it's an eternal high priest. Don't He, he never changes. In the Old Testament, there always had to be a new high priest being elected. But in the New Testament, there's only one high priest. In that covenant, Jesus Christ is the Mexicadet, in a sense, the great high priest of this new covenant. Father, thank you and praise you for your loving kindness unto us. Will you continue to minister to us? Would you continue to open your word to us? And Father, I pray for that one Lord who is questioning whether or not to believe or not. I pray, Father, you would take away their doubt. You would take away their fear. And that they would taste and see how good the Lord is. Give men and women today the strength to repent, to bow their needs to thee, and to ask that Jesus Christ would forgive them of their sins and that they would receive Jesus and allow him 
to give them power to become sons and daughters of the living God. Father, would you work in a magnificent way and we'll give you the praise and we'll give you all the glory for you alone are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. See you next week.